This is Crow and Fern's Guide to Weird Fiction, Folklore, Mythology, and Everything in Between. This is still part of Serial Killer Month. And today we have Peter Stump. Peter Stump. Yeah, Peter Stump is kind of a weird case. And let me tell you, during my research of this, I have been all over the place on this guy. I came in kind of not sure whether he was guilty or not of the murders that he was, well, convicted of. (laughs) And then I kind of changed my mind about five times. And where I landed is actually someplace that I never thought I would land. But here we are. Here we are anyway. Here we are. Were you familiar with this case at all? Have you heard of it? Because I feel like this is one of the less common ones, but I guess we'll see. (laughs) I'm familiar with Patrick Stump, the dude from Fallout Boy. I thought he went rogue and started killing people. So, <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't know about Peter Stump. This guy is in the 16th century. So technically we're out of the medieval ages. We're, we're into the Renaissance. But let me tell you now, there is nothing enlightened about anything that happens here. <laughs> <laughs> no paintings, no more realistic cats, no naked dudes with super chiseled abs. Thank you, Michelangelo. Well, there might be some naked guys with super chiseled the labs, but they're being tortured oh. to death. So we'll oh. get into that. There are BDSM. there are some wood carvings. No, <laughs> you're gonna regret it so much when we get to why. Yeah. Just add it to the reasons why I should be canceled. I'm sorry. This one's just like, there's no way for you to know because this is actually a pretty uncommon case. So, okay. There's definitely people who like to follow this one. There's all sorts of theories about this, whether he was guilty, innocent, or like if he was innocent, why he would have been railroaded. And again, let me tell you, the the answer that I personally believe at this point is not even something I thought was a possibility when we started, but we'll get there because this is a wild ride. (laughs) Take us on it. Okay, so he's got a couple of different names, which is not uncommon as long ago. There's Peter Stump, Peter Stump with an F. Patrick Stump. No, not Patrick Stump, (laughs) but there's Peter Stuba. I'm just trying to get people to click on our episodes. Keywords. Keywords. I know that's not how it works. (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> you just just shout out a string of keywords in hopes that like Google will pick it up somehow. We'll pick and, it like, up, exactly. And then Patrick Stump sues us. <laughs> Help us, Spotify. <laughs> Make us popular. <laughs> Please. Please. Uh, so this man is known as the werewolf of Bedburg. He's German. And this is back in the time when there were witch trials for sure. And that is a part of this because in areas where there were a lot more wolves, it was more common for people to be accused of being a werewolf or a werewolf and a witch, kind of like a combo. These accusations of being a werewolf were just part of the whole witch hunt fiasco, if you will. But, you know, like when you also had like people being killed by wolves and there was a chance someone was going to get accused of being a werewolf. Yeah, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to be like, Crow thinks she is a bird, but she's a werewolf. Burn her at the stake. Why? 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 What did I do? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Why do you think I'm a werewolf? Why did they think anyone was a werewolf? I think the whole thing was dumb. Some people are just really hairy. Is that what you're trying to say? (laughs) I'm doing laser hair removal therapy. I'm getting zapped with lasers (laughs) to not be a werewolf. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) No, no. So, so like, Crow has had this whole obsession with, like, being a hairless wonder for a while. And there have been so many lasers. She chooses to get hit by lasers. And now it occurs to me for the first time that it's because you want to hide the fact that you're a werewolf. It's true. Yeah. Um, Or that I'm a giant anthropomorphic crow. Um, it removes feathers too. It doesn't really. And also, there's nothing wrong with being hairy before anyone gets upset. There's, no, there's absolutely nothing, nothing wrong. With being if hairy. you're cool with it, you're cool. <laughs> yeah. I just like being zapped by a laser. It's a BDSM thing. It's a kink of mine, you know? Like, I, I'm not in a relationship, so I go get zapped by lasers. It turns me on. <laughs> Someone is going to take that It doesn't. I cry every <laughs> single time. 
I have to go. I cry. <laughs> it's true. It's true. She's like, I don't want to go hit by lasers. And I'm like, you're going to go get hit by lasers. But then, yeah, so the, the I'd like to think that in today's society, we would be a lot more accepting of a werewolf as long as they weren't killing anyone. Let's get into him. So first of all... Can I make a joke? Okay, make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to get into him the way he got into his victims? Well done. Well done. I'd clap, but I think that would like spike the microphone in a way. Ferns don't have hands, but she's clapping (laughs) like her heart is clapping. I'm trying not to peek on the microphone. (laughs) Try not to blow up people's speakers. (laughs) That's another reason. Just, Just imagine the clapping. Imagine the clapping. Okay, so he was accused of serial killing. That They didn't call it that, but, you know, like, basically. Werewolfery, <laughs> witchcraft, and cannibalism. Starting with the facts here, we do not have the records of his birth because there was this big old war, the Thirty Years' War, after his death, and a lot of the local church registers where his records would have been kept were burned. And so there's not a lot of actual records. What we do have are things that were published like pamphlets and broadsheets. Broadsheets are kind of like a single sheet newspaper that only deals with one topic. And they would sell those, but it would be like, oh, if you want to read about this particular story, then you can come by this broadsheet. So it wasn't like to today's newspapers, but it was still kind of a newspaper, if that makes sense. Okay. And a lot of those still exist. It's like those library records where um, if you want to dig up stories about people from days long past, Uh you can go to your local library and try to see if there's there was anything published about them like that? Kind of, because, I mean, the ones that I'm going to refer to today were all fairly close to the time this happened because there mm-hmm. was later stuff published. But that's where, like, things get a little wild in a way that I'm like, mm. You're just making shit up to sell a broadsheet here. <laughs> okay. The ones that I read, because these contemporary sources are still very available. In fact, I'm going to reference some specific things that can still be found on vo- online. And obviously, most of them need to be translated because most of them were published in German. Although there was an English pamphlet um, that of course, was originally in English, that you can find many, many places online. So if you want to read that, that would be a good source. There was an original German pamphlet that was supposed to be like the best source on it, but that no longer exists. All of the copies of that have disappeared over the years. I mean, it was, we are talking about like the late 1500s here. So it's been a while. But, like, then how did they know that it was the best source published It's referenced in many other things. This whole thing went down in 1589. The English pamphlet came out in 1590, so I consider that a pretty close source. One year later, things haven't gone off the rails usually, and it references the German pamphlet. So do some of the other things, like some of the broadsheets. They'll say like, oh, this okay. goes into more depth or this has is the most accurate. Like they, The contemporary sources keep pointing back to the German pamphlet, which again is lost to time. It's just because it's been hundreds of years and it's hard to preserve things that long. But the the English pamphlets, there are two ones that were from that time that still exist. And like I said, it it is widely available in PDF format online nowadays. So anyone who's interested can find the English pamphlet. And um, most of these broadsheets, I was able to find all but one. And the one that I couldn't find is apparently just very similar to one of the other ones. So it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> uh, we have right. other sources so it'll yeah 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 um, but I think it's important to look at contemporary sources because a lot of times when you hear like really ridiculous claims you find out that they weren't the, they didn't start coming out until like a, a hundred or two hundred years later and then at that point you're like well this is just some bullshit <laughs> okay so like I said, the records of his birth and, by the way, also of the trial and the proceedings and the execution 
gone. 30 years war happened after his death and a lot of the churches and records were destroyed during that. So we're kind of guessing on some things. We think he was born around 1530 to 35. We do know when he died. So like I said, this happened in 1589, which means based on what time you think he was born, he's kind of in that 54 to 59 year old range when this happens. Not a lot of 55 to 59 year old serial killers that I can think of. Yeah, which is an interesting point. However, supposedly he had an active period of 25 years. If you're going to take everything at face value, he was an active serial killer for 25 years. So that means he would have started back in like what, when he was in his 20s at some point? Yeah, in his like mid-20s. Yeah, depending on which year you accept as his birth year. So the start isn't that crazy. If you believe the stories, he was killing people up until the end though. And I will say that unlike a lot of other cases from this era, we don't have a ridiculous claim on the victim count. You know, like Gilderay, it was 140, and some of the later claims upped it to even more ridiculous numbers. Elizabeth Bathory, who we have coming up, was also have has a claimed victim count in the hundreds. Peter Stump's victim count is 16. And that actually, I think, is a a realistic number for a a serial killer. And so right off the bat, that is a little bit more believable, if you will. He was a widower. I'm just going to say a few more life facts before we get into the story here. He he was a widower. He had two kids. Um, We don't know a lot about his kids. There was a daughter called Bela. Bela. Um, Her name was Sybil. I looked it up and it was still hard to say. I'm sorry. Oh, this is I know, isn't name. that? I, I actually Bela did think that was Sybil. cute. I didn't even think Sybil was a German name. I, I, don't, I don't know. This, I never this really is what the record it. says. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> he also had a son. We know very little about the son other than the fact that he was a child. That's it. Okay. Okay. Stump was a farmer. And I want to be very clear here that he was an actual farmer. He was a sexy shirtless he, farmer. Maybe. I don't know. He, I mean, he was kind of old when he died. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but maybe when he was younger, who knows? But he was not a serf. I, w- I want to make that clear. This was not like oh. a poor peasant. He was actually described as wealthy. When I when they say wealthy, I don't think we're talking anything near like Gilderay or Elizabeth Bathory, who we're going to talk about next week. You know, like this was not a titled lord. This was a common farmer, but a farmer who was doing pretty well, which to me kind of says like middle class, but in a time when most people were like peasant class, you know? So he was considered to be doing pretty well, actually. May have actually been a nickname. It's believed that he lost his hand in a farming accident. I'm looking it up and it says in some cases it means maimed or mentally incompetent stump. Oh. Well, he was he was in yeah. fact um, I mean the mental thing I don't think I don't think it's fair but the the he was maimed. I don't think um, it's fair either. Cor- I mean either way I feel like like humanity was shitty back shittier back then than we are now. So either way if you're if someone is quote unquote maimed, you and know. To make that their nickname. Do, do you really want to so be calling mean. them like stumpy? Like what I know. The fuck? I actually had a note about that. I was like <laughs> take a moment to appreciate the cleverness of old nicknames. Like it's the equivalent of me giving you the nickname of like Crow Short, but with two T's just for fun. Short. How you had to bring my height into this. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is an average height <laughs> for those where from where I come from, God damn it's it! Not here. <laughs> it's not. I wear heels. You know what? The I'll, I'll take it. I'll take them. it. The hills make you taller. Is good. Okay. All right. Anyway, <laughs> okay. I'm gonna go Patrick Stump on you. <laughs> Patrick Stump? Oh, Peter! Peter! God damn! Peter Stump! I'm gonna Peter Stump you. No, it was funnier the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, what do, what does that mean, though, in the context of Patrick Stump? What does going Patrick Stump on someone mean? Patrick Stump on someone is probably, I don't know, um, write them a song with a really, really, really long title. Oh, you know it. Until they start second guessing whether you've started singing the, sing it to them or whether you're just telling them the title. You know what? I'm okay with that. 
you can do that. Yeah, and you're going to explain to me what uh, Peter something someone needs. <laughs> That's a weird verb, but we'll go with it. All right, so... The story yeah. begins in his little town area where a lot of brutal animal murders and mutilations were happening. You know, people would go out in the field and find like their sheep or their cow mutilated and dead and people were getting concerned about that. And then the story goes okay. that there were missing children and a few other victims. According to the story, a total of 13 children went missing along with two pregnant women and then there's a lot of debate about like the the actual victims I'll get into it later but it's not consistent from one source to another even among the contemporary ones so it's really hard to say like was the last victim uh a man or you know like someone who didn't fit that category but we'll, we'll get into that there are some stories it's like I said there are different broadsheets there are different pamphlets that were printed all within like a decade of when this was supposed to have happened they do not agree with each other so there are multiple versions of this story even when you go back and look at things that are fairly contemporary and fairly closely published to each other even the ones that are in the same language I'm going to tell you the story from one of the broadsheets and you're going to see something inconsistent with what I've told you already pretty fast here, which is my whole issue with this case. What happened was there was this farmer outside doing the farm thing, you know, like whatever farmers do outside during the Renaissance, the early Renaissance, and this wolf be shirtless and fight the Romans. You're, you're thinking of the Dachshunds, and that's like way, that's like 1,500 years back. <laughs> from Shirtless, yeah. Listen, it's hard It's hard to compare to the Dachshunds. They set a high standard. She's totally not biased. <laughs> anyway, this farmer is okay. out doing farmer things, whatever farmers do, and a wolf rushes him like it's going to kill him, and he pulls out a sword to defend himself, and he chops off the paw of this wolf. Oh. You might be thinking like, oh, well, it's kind of weird that this farmer had a sword at there ready, but it's not because there had been a war not too long before in that area, and there were still a lot of mercenaries and highwaymen and everything running around, and so it was not uncommon for people to be armed. I initially was like, what, he just had a sword, but on further research and inspection, it makes sense, given how many mercenaries there were in the area at the time. Anyway, so he takes this paw that he cut off of the wolf, because obviously the wolf left after he had his paw cut off, and he, he goes home and he tells his neighbor, I just had this wolf come and attack me, and I fought him off with my sword, and I cut off his paw, and the neighbor's like, whatever, liar, you're just trying to get clout in our little tiny village of probably like 10 people <laughs> and the the farmer's like no 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 I swear it's real and he pulls out the paw to show the neighbor and the paw has turned into a human hand now it's a human hand and he's like whoa what just happened here whoops <laughs> yeah what just happened is your boy's a werewolf <laughs> I know <laughs> classic werewolfery classic by the way I love that word now werewolfery I'm going to start using that. Werewolfery. Start using it. It's in your vocabulary now. Mm -hmm. What is this werewolfery? I am definitely going to start saying that. Well, what was that thing that it was part of the makeup community drama? Uh, was it I rebuke your tomfoolery? Was it, I don't was know. It like that? <laughs> I rebuke your werewolfery. Whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> yeah. the, the story gets better <laughs> because mm. it was a human hand when he showed his neighbor, but apparently it would like switch. It switched back and forth a couple of times, and at one point it switches back to a werewolf's paw, and he has a little conversation with it, as one does. It's part of the first aid. I'm doing advanced trauma life support right now, and one of the first things you do if someone's limbs um, or paws uh, would like you know come off is you talk to the mm -hmm. the limb to reassure it and you know mm -hmm. tell it that you're on your way to the hospital because it has feelings too yeah and it not only was it having a conversation but it was like just full-on confessing to him so <laughs> it was not a very good accomplice I guess it was confessing to the neighbor yeah yeah well to the the farmer who cut it off and he said was like the telltale paw yeah actually yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> it says, know that on that day, I was the great wolf during the night who had run towards you and you have cut off my hand. I beg that you do not say anything about it. It's like, I'm going to confess to you, but I don't want you to tell anyone. <laughs> Please. <laughs> and it says, I have given myself to the devil so that I can live my life with sorcery. The farmer was like, oh shit, this is crazy. And apparently his wife backed him up that that happened. So they like were both testifying to it. And so she was like, yeah, yeah, that was definitely it. And so like later on when they're like doing the whole trial and everything, they apparently they still had this paw and it confessed and it says, I have murdered 13 small children. Besides that also killed three old people to that too. And was, uh, was also very harmful to livestock. It does actually switch from like first person to third person in the middle of that confession. And so me saying was also very harmful to livestock. That is actually what it says. <laughs> it was all talking in first person and then it just full on switched without any warning into third person, which love that. Love that. Very interesting use of literary critical analysis there. Mm -hmm. So in the, the Nuremberg broadsheet, it does actually show this scene where the farmer cuts off a wolf's paw and you see the wolf paw on the ground. And then you see like Peter Stump on the, the breaking wheel we'll get into what that is and he is in fact missing a hand because that's supposed to be like an old werewolf trope like that goes way back I know like a lot of people have heard that you know if you injure the wolf and then you see the same injury on the person then that is a clear sign that they're a werewolf you might remember that earlier on I said he lost his hand in a farming accident that is because that is Okay. What a different source says. <laughs> so some say it was chopped off by a, I don't know, by a farmer. And other sources say that it was a farming accident. And other sources said he had his hand. So pick your favorite story. I... <laughs> I choose to believe he had his hand because I'm still not over the idea of them calling him Stumpy because he had a stump for a hand. Like, that is just so... It's so mean. Medieval. <laughs> I know. So in that broadsheet that I just covered, Peter Stump was found in bed. And, you know, he was taken while he was in bed and taken to trial. This other story, to me, actually seemed fairly plausible that I'm going to share with you. Okay. There were three men who were over all of the wolf attacks. They, at this point, they just thought it was a wolf. They're like, oh, this wolf is terrorizing us. You know, they've killed some animals and, you know, kids and stuff like that. And we're done. And so they were chasing any wolf they saw, trying to get rid of him, trying to kill him. They found one wolf, chased after it. And as they were chasing, it went into a field and before their eyes transformed into... Peter Stump. And Peter Stump, of course, being a wealthy farmer, was someone that most people recognized on site. He was fairly well known, someone that was often out and about. And so they, they're like, we recognized him immediately. It was Peter Stump. He changed okay. into a wolf before our eyes. And then they, they took him. First of all, they wanted to grab him to make sure he was actually real and this wasn't some sort of illusion. And then seized him and took him to be like questioned and, you know, go through the whole trial and everything. When I initially read this, my thought was, was okay so they were chasing a wolf they chased the wolf into a field they lost track of him and then they, all of a sudden they saw peter stump who based on the state they found him in was going out for an evening stroll like he had a, a walking stick with him and he seemed surprised and you know it really when i read it i was like i really think they just chased the wolf into this field and then noticed peter stump in there when they lost track of the wolf that was my first impression which okay. would be deeply unfortunate because this did not go well from peter from for peter from here i feel like it's just such a coincidence and they're just like okay so we saw this dude who happened to pop up when we were chasing this wolf must be a fucking werewolf i know like I my know. guys my guys can critical thinking there's not a lot of no critical one? thinking Anyone? going on here let me tell you yeah like when i read all of these different sources and you know they were all published within 10 years of each other i was like people are unreliable narrators because there is no consistency here <laughs> even the ones that were uh, yeah. written within a year of this happening no consistency 
Anyway, they seized him and brought him in for questioning or depending on a different version, he was grabbed from his bed in the middle of the night or in some cases it doesn't explain how they caught him. But And he was taken to the Inquisitors. If that sounds like Inquisition, if you're thinking Inquisition, good, you should be. That is absolutely applicable in this situation. But they took him to the Inquisitors. He was threatened with torture. But according to the story he was not actually tortured he was just threatened with torture and one of the pamphlets I read was kind of like a summary of several different werewolf and witchcraft trials at the time in from that area the language kind of made my skin crawl because they were talking about a particular inquisitor and they were like and he was a gentle soul who managed to extract detailed confessions from people even without the use of torture because he was such a gentle and kind soul and I'm like oh that sounds so gross like you just know like if that's what they're saying whatever was happening behind the scenes had to be like I feel like there were lots of threats made. I'm not sure I believe there was no torture made. People's had heard horrific stories of torture and were very afraid and so like you can't tell me that there wasn't horrible manipulation gaslighting threats whatever to get people to confess and i mean it still happens you still see intimidation being used during interrogations Uh all the time like you hear of cases of people getting swept off to prison for 25 years only to find out that they were innocent Uh way later because they were intimidated during interrogations because investigations weren't conducted properly so I wouldn't be surprised at all I mean it's the middle ages where like Mm -hmm. I guess people just depended on each other's sense of common decency Mm -hmm. to not do wrong and I don't know their fear of God and we all know how well that works out for people yeah yeah yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it, it didn't work out for any of the people described in those stories, uh, to be completely honest. Like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. we all know, like, so. the witch witch craze was mostly an excuse to torture, murder, and otherwise humiliate women. It wasn't just women; it was also anyone who didn't fit neatly into society, like minorities. I mean, it could be for minorities, but for example, if there was one case they described where it was an older man in deep poverty and he and his wife were living in the woods and so people were like well that's us obviously they're witches and werewolves and we should kill them and there was a lot of that it's stories like these that literally make me wonder how our species Uh survived yeah Uh, it's frustrating for sure like the people who were loners the people who didn't fit into societal norms people who they thought were weird or whatever the other quote-unquote with a capital o you know the people who others had trouble understanding even though they had made no real effort to try and understand them and you would think being a wealthy farmer peter would not fit into to this but we'll get into some of the possible reasons because like I said a lot of the records from that time period are gone this isn't like a Gilda Ray where there was a ton of things written about him he was a farmer not a nobleman you know so (laughs) there's just not as extensive records anyway once they bring him in he starts confessing under the threat of torture but not actual torture and what he says is that he began his evil ways at the tender age of 12 with sorcery necromancy and other dark arts and uh, let me tell you no matter what source you read there there is like some over-the-top pearl-clutching outrage involved where it's like and he was an ungodly heathen villainous wolf person who enjoyed the suffering of humans and therefore just did what he could to make people miserable in fact in one of the stories it says like oh well the devil promised him whatever he wanted whatever his heart desire was was and he didn't want to be rich he didn't want to be famous or titled or anything else that you know most people would have gone for he just wanted the ability to make people suffer and hurt others and get away with it so the devil gave him this girdle it was a girdle made out of wolf's fur and when he put it on he would turn into a wolf and when he took it off he would turn into a man 
man again. So like a selkie. Kind of, kind of. As a werewolf. Yeah, where there's kind of that object where you can take it on and off at will. According to one of the stories, the spell would only last for seven hours, but um, that that's only one of them. And again, like I said, this is all over the place. Was it seven hours or was it just whenever he wanted to take the girdle off? Which one was it? They can't keep their damn story straight. They're like a two-year-old who's been caught snitching from the cookie jar who makes up a different story every five minutes. You know what they are? They're the Jody Ariases of storytelling. Oh, no. <laughs> We're pulling out the big guns now. <laughs> it changes every fucking five minutes. It's so bad. Medieval dude, can I fix my makeup in the middle of this <laughs> confession? Oh, man. Oh, God. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> they take every opportunity they can to talk about how evil he is and how sure he is to be damned and how he turned away the goodness of God for like the evilness of the devil. And, and there's just like a lot of that. <laughs> I was like, okay, you made your point. Move on. So. He yeah. he was apparently involved in the dark arts from a very young age, but then the actual murderous rampage lasted 25 years. He confessed to murdering 13 children. That is the one number that is pretty consistent, is that there were 13 children. And then they also always say like there were 16 victims total, but then the remaining three, their accounts get a little contradictory. One is that there were two pregnant women and who knows what else. There's this other story about two men and one woman. So there were traveling two men and a woman through the area at the time. We don't know a lot about them other than two men, one woman. They were traveling through the forest and apparently Peter Stump was trailing behind them in the form of a wolf, you know, looking for the opportunity to attack and consume them. He heard their names and so he called out the name of one of them to lure him off into the woods and this fellow did go off and Peter attacked and mangled him and he was dead. Then he did the same thing with the other dude. He was like, hey, hey, dude, come out into the middle of the forest. Like, never mind the fact that you don't know who's calling your name and it's not a sus at all. It's just come out into the woods by yourself. People didn't really have a great sense of self-preservation. Like, I feel like up until, I don't know, the 1970s where serial killers just started butchering people out on the streets and then people were like, oh, maybe I shouldn't answer the call of the random voice in my basement at 3 a.m., <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't yeah. do that. So don't go out blaming my man for going out in the woods. Well, I'm going to blame him. I'm going to blame him. Maybe he thought him. it was Santa. <laughs> Again, there were a lot of mercenaries in the area at the time. I think it should have occurred to someone that this could be a trap. A lot of highwaymen robbery kind of shit going on. Anyway, the second guy oh, walks fair. off. I'm telling you, zero sense of self-preservation. Well... I have my issues with the story. Anyway, the the guy goes off. He okay. gets killed and maimed. And so it's just the woman alone. And she's getting freaked out. She feels like, okay, something is wrong. Something bad has happened to my companions. I need to get out of here. But she's in the middle of the woods. So she's not really close to anywhere safe. So she takes off. She books it. She's running through the woods. She's terrified. The wolf is chasing behind her. And she cannot outrun a wolf. So she gets caught and trigger warning, she gets raped and murdered and eaten and there is no trace of her body. See, that's why they always say it's really difficult to prove cannibalism. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it would be a lot more difficult back then when they didn't even have forensic sciences or like, you know, forensic sciences as we know them today. Mm -hmm. To actually, you know, figure out if anyone was consumed. Right, right. And especially in this the, case, yeah. there are no surviving witnesses. Based on the story, everyone yeah. except for Peter Stump himself dies. Which implies then that this story would have been gotten by confession. Confessions from the Inquisition are always very suspect to me. But that's not the only problem that I have with this story. So first of all, the numbers don't add up. So these are three victims, right? And you add those to the 13 children that he killed and that comes to the 16 that they're pretty consistent with saying like he killed 16 people. But then one of the broadsheets, the one that I just read you actually at the beginning said that he killed three older people. And these are not older people. And the 
there's also a count of him killing two pregnant women. If you're keeping the number of the children involved at 13, none of this is consistent. Yeah. That You can't add up the described victims and come to 16. It doesn't work. I sat there trying to make it work and finally just read a scholar who pointed out the same thing I was thinking, that you have different accounts of who his victims were, and if you try and add them up, it doesn't add up. We've got a realistic number of victims, but we can't agree on who they were, which okay. I find very frustrating. Very frustrating. Okay. Because how do you then try to verify any of that when every story you read is different? I'm going to pull my hair out. Like, I was yeah. seriously like, ah, I'm going to pull my hair out. I'm going to, like, go invent a time machine just so I can go back in time and slap whoever was making these inconsistent records because this is all we have. <laughs> it was probably multiple it people. It was. It was for sure multiple people. Yeah. What I was thinking at this point is, okay, so we've got multiple records that are fairly contemporary you know, happened within a decade of his death and they can't agree to save their lives. And so I was like, well, maybe what's happening here is people don't know the full details. And so they just, you know, like they hear it and then they just fill in the details that they don't know with whatever the hell they think will make a good story. That was kind of my feeling at the time. Okay. The point is, though, the only thing that is consistent about the victims is that there were 13 children. One thing that I was looking for, because, okay, so this man is accused of being a werewolf. We have to consider he could have been a real serial killer. There were serial killers throughout history, throughout the world. There's always a possibility that that is the case. And so what I wanted to see, if we were going to say like Peter Stump was a real serial killer, what I wanted to see was accounts of specific witnesses and victims that were attacked with Peter Stump in human form. Okay. And not in wolf form. You know what I'm saying? Because if they're like, oh, we, this wolf attacked this person, obviously it was Peter Stomp. That's not good enough for me. There is no way for us to prove if it was, uh -huh. yeah, exactly. If it was Peter Stomp or if it was just a wolf right. attack. Exactly. Exactly. And especially since this area at the time really did have a pretty significant wolf population. There were absolutely real wolf attacks happening. And so I needed to see accounts of him attacking someone or killing someone as a human being. And while there are accounts of that, none of them are close to the original time period. They're all things that came in much okay. later. And you know how I feel about that. Like if you're going to introduce facts well after the cases like <laughs> has happened, then fuck you. Like how yeah, am I supposed yeah. to believe that this is... Then you're going to become the J.K. Rowling of history. <laughs> Keeps inserting new facts. After the fact. After the yeah. story's written and done. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, of the contemporary sources that I read, and I was able to track down most of the, of the documents that we know exist that were produced within a reasonable time period of this happening, none of them describe him okay. as a human attacking people. They're either left vague and don't say like how the attack and murder happened, or they're accounts of him attacking someone as a wolf. And I do feel like okay. it does kind of feel like, oh, there's a werewolf? Well, let me tell you about this wolf attack. For example, here's a story that was presented as Peter Stump did this and he is guilty and should be mur murdered medieval style. And I'm not going to say Renaissance style, even though it was Renaissance, because who was killed is very medieval. So there's these kids out playing in a pasture, I'm going to say, because there were cows there, like the cows of like a couple of different villagers, right? No parents in sight. It was a different time, I guess. So there are all these kids are playing in a field with the cows and this wolf comes up and this wolf, this is a wild story. This wolf runs up and it grabs this little girl by the neck. The story says though... <laughs> that her yeah. collar, the collar of her dress was so high and so st stiffly starched that the wolf couldn't pierce through the collar. <laughs> and so it was holding on to her neck, but it mm. couldn't pierce through the collar. I don't know. Like, I know that I've heard some crazy stories about, like, the old days when people starched collars, but apparently the mother's enthusiastic starching of this collar saved the little girl, and the kids were all freaking out. They start screaming and yelling and crying, as kids would do. 
it got the cows worked up. The cows were upset. The cows were not happy. <laughs> and they charged after the wolf. And so the, the cows charging after the wolf scared the wolf who dropped the little girl and ran. So the cows saved the day. Were the cows just like roaming out on the streets? No, this is a field. This is a pasture. The kids were playing with the in the pasture where the cows were. Oh, so the wolf. Okay, so the wolf like went in, into the pasture. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That makes more yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. And so basically, the stampeding cows freaked out the wolf, and the little girl was saved. And there were like, and this okay, was Peter okay. Stump, clearly, and not just a wolf. But Peter Stump. Okay. And there's not really anything said to make a clear connection between these two things. It just sounds like a wolf attack to me, honestly. That's the thing, though. What you, Back to what you were saying initially. It's like if we have different wolf attacks, there's no way to tie them back to Peter Stump. Like even if he lived near that pasture or was like passing by or something, you can't just, especially if you're saying that wolf attacks were prevalent at that time why single out this one dude yeah, you know yeah. it's just anyone could have been passing by would we call them werewolves yeah. too yeah and that was the thing because at that point I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards well these are just wolf attacks and this man has been railroaded you know and scapegoated because people want to blame someone for all of these wolf attacks and for some reason we can't blame the wolves I don't understand why because it seems like wolves and when you think about it in that context, this next story is particularly tragic because this one hit me in the feels, I'm going to warn you. According to the quote-unquote confession, Peter Stump had the son, you know, we, we talked about the son, and the way they describe it is the son was the apple of his eye. He loved him. He adored him. It was said like he had all sorts of cute little nicknames for him, and the the son was just very very precious to him and we don't know how old the son was but it is stated the son is a child um so somewhere in child range okay but he was old enough to be able to be going out into the woods to do whatever work people were doing out in the woods i don't know what they were doing with like gathering herbs or who knows but he was out in the woods one day and he was attacked by a wolf and the wolf killed him and ate his brains. So Peter Stump's own son was killed and he is one of the supposed 13 children that Peter Stump murdered. And if you're thinking at this point, like this man is just being railroaded and scapegoated for like all of these wolf attacks to then think that his own son was a victim of a wolf attack and he was blamed yeah. for that. And, um, you know, like the the pamphlet that I was reading was not kind at all. And they're like, and he was so heartless that even the son that he loved and adored and held all of these sweet nicknames for, he couldn't resist killing him and, you know, like cannibalizing him. And I just think like if you are a parent who has lost a son to something as brutal and terrifying as a wolf attack, to then be forced to confess under uh, the threat of torture to that and to be blamed for it, you know, in addition to the weight of that heavy loss. Like, that's just, that's hard. That, that was one that I struggled that's with. That's what I was thinking. It's like, just imagine losing your child in a tragedy and then people come out and are like, oh, by the way, we think you're a werewolf and we think you're slaughtering children and eating them. It's just... Including your own son. I, yeah. I don't even have words Yeah, for it. yeah, because I know I have heard some cases where someone lost a child and then they were accused of killing their child and later vindicated through, you know, proof that surfaced at after some time of like I mean one of the most famous cases the whole dingo ate my baby thing mm -hmm. remember and the parents were blamed and it was a whole shit show and it turned out they actually did lose their child to a dingo attack I've heard parents talk about, I don't know that I've heard them I'm trying to think of which ones I've heard but it, it's heartbreaking it's absolutely heartbreaking you know to to not only have to deal with the pain of losing a child but then to also have to try and defend yourself against something as unthinkable as that you know it's just painful and so when I read that yeah. I was like if this man is being yeah, yeah scapegoated this is a whole new level of cruelty and it doesn't stop there does it go like I'm curious are we going
going to ever get the reason for why he may have been accused because Gilderay, you gave us a reason. I'm not going to spoil it, but there were yeah. reasons for what happened and the accusations and whatever. Is there the a reason The thing with Gilderay is that he was very important and wealthy, at least at one point. And because of that, there's a lot of documentation about his life. Peter Stump, he may have been a wealthy farmer, but he was still a farmer. And there's not a lot of documentation. And so there's not like a concrete, this is why, but there are a lot of things theories. And so I'll go over the theories and I'll tell you which one I believe, but we're going to finish telling what happened first. So while he's confessing, these are all supposedly things that he confessed to while he was having conversations with the Inquisitors. He also confessed to some sexual crimes. And it's really hard to say if these are true or not. I will say if they are true, they're a lot more believable than the whole werewolf thing. And if they they are true. He's a shit human being. Just going to preface it with that. Be okay. warned that there is some very uncomfortable sexual stuff coming up. And if you are triggered by that, you might want to skip ahead a few minutes. Here's what he confessed to. He was having a sexual relationship with his daughter for seven years. According to what he confessed to, what was printed in these pamphlets, they had a relationship for seven years. At one point, he impregnated her. We don't know anything about the kid, if the kid was born and lived or, you know, died or what. But according to some, he also had a relationship with his sister or his godmother. This woman named Catherine Trompen, who he seduced, they called her a gossip, but that does not have the same meaning then as it did now. Then it was like a woman who was like a friend or whatever. In this case, a little more than a friend. But the point is, she was wrapped up in this as well. There are a couple of the different accounts say that he was sleeping with a literal she-devil that the devil sent to keep him company during this time as well for, for like quite a while. <laughs> in some cases, as much as 25 years. So he was getting it. He was getting it and not in a good way. Lots of incest. Incest was part of what he was accused of. And he was convicted. They decided to execute him on Halloween, which, you know, nowadays is kind of a fun holiday. Then the whole pagan witchy concept of idea of Halloween was still very much attached to it. And so they're like, we're going to kill him October 31st, 1589. That was the day they did this. And I'm going to put in another trigger warning because this one is rough. This is considered one of the most brutal executions in history. Brace yourself. Again, if you want to skip a few minutes, I'm not going to talk at length about this. If you want to skip ahead a few minutes, understandable. I <laughs> I wouldn't blame. It's also on the Wikipedia page. So just be careful if you're looking up Peter Stump to, you know, to do your own research. That's like smack dab the first thing on there. Anyway, the the punishment was, they did a couple of things. They started with what's called the breaking wheel. I had to look this up. This is horrible. What they did was they would tie someone to a floor or something. Basically, the point was that they were tied up and they couldn't Mm. move. And then they got what was called the breaking wheel. And it was a big carriage wheel kind of thing, you know, with the spokes, the wooden wheel with the spokes and everything. And then they would drop it on people to break their bones and batter them. And this was something they actually did. And so they would start on their legs and they would lift the wheel up and then smash it down on their legs to break their legs, you know, starting at the bottom and then move it up a little and drop it again and move it up a little and drop it again until like they were beaten and battered and every bone in their body was broken. And they would also do okay. this thing where they took these wedges and they stuck them under the joints of people. And so when they brought down the, the breaking wheel on the person, it would kind of like drive that wedge into their joints and cause all sorts of damage. So okay. extremely okay. brutal. Like I just... I yeah. had trouble reading them. I mean, medieval torture methods, mm-hmm. some of them we can't even begin to conceive. It was absolutely horrific. Like, I had trouble just, like, 
reading through the description of what was done. And then they they said, like, when this was done, you would think it would kill a person, but they actually had a tendency to survive for a while after that. Like, a, they talked about one documented case where a man survived three days after this was done to him. You know, like, you imagine pretty much every bone in your body broken, yeah. your your joints all fucked up beyond reason, and it just, it's horrific. It's horrific. And their bones were so broken that they were able to thread their arms through the spokes of the, the breaking wheel. And it just... Uh, horrible Uh, so they did that to him and then they lifted him up and poked him with burning hot irons and chunks of his flesh were torn off while he was still alive then they decapitated him which was probably a mercy at that point but it wasn't intended to be a mercy it was meant to like ensure that he would not get resurrection because of that was a belief at the time apparently that they could separate pieces of the body and keep someone from getting resurrected and uh, then they mounted his head on a pole it's kind of hard to describe and understand this I didn't really get what they were talking about until I looked at the the wood carvings the etchings but it's a big pole and then the wheel is put on top of the pole and then an effigy of a wolf is put on top of the wheel and then his head was mounted on top of that and there were 16 um, boards attached to the wheel one for every victim that he killed and that was meant to be like as a deterrent okay. and also to prevent him from being able to be resurrected. And then his body was burned along with his daughter and his mistress or whoever it was that he was also sleeping with according to whichever pamphlet you were reading at the time. <laughs> And you would think they would be considered victims, but they were like, oh, no, they were also involved in the murders, clearly. Yeah. Anyway, that yeah. is the end of the, the tragic and horrific murder or death sentence or, you know, execution. It's a lot. If you need to take a minute to collect yourself, we understand. Yeah. <laughs> like, go go take a deep breath of fresh air, touch, touch some, some grass, grass, get a drink, <laughs> look at a picture of a cat for a second. You know, whatever you need to do, no one's blaming you. It's, that that was a rough one. Uh, post pictures of home. <laughs> you cute little cat, little, little refresher. Totally not. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just, I, I found that really rough to get through. But, you know, I, I the other hand, I was thinking, like, if this is an innocent man who was scapegoated, then he deserves to have his story told. But there are a lot of possibilities about what really happened, and I'm going to get into them now. There was a popular one that this was actually, that he was innocent, and this was a form of religious persecution. One theory was that he was Protestant, and this was kind of at the the height of the whole Protestants versus Catholics kind of thing. And they th- they were saying, like, maybe he was Protestant, and that's why they did this to kind of say, like, oh, Protestant. Protestants are evil. Look at all the evil Protestants. You should be Catholic and not an evil Protestant. And this is one that is often repeated nowadays. However, there are a lot of issues with it. The first of which being no one ever states explicitly what Peter Stump's religion was. I don't believe this theory because I think if that was the motivation there, some of the contemporary sources would have said something about him being Protestant because that would have been the whole point. They had these broadsheets. They were meant to like incite all sorts of crazy emotions emotions and yet they never mentioned the one thing that was the whole point that he was Protestant they would have said that the other thing is uh, some people say like oh it could have been all of the active mercenaries there was the Cologne War not too long before this and there were a lot of lingering mercenaries in the area people have said this very well could have been one of the mercenaries or like maybe various mercenary groups because remember these killings were spread over the course of 25 years So it's very possible it was not a single person, if it was a person. One of the more believable theories is that a lot of these things describe actual wolf attacks. This is definitely an area known for wolves. There were a lot of werewolf trials in that area around that time period because there were a lot of wolf attacks. 
facts. This was something that happened. It's interesting to me when you look at the, his, his victim profile, which is children, some of the sources mentioned elderly people or pregnant women. They're the kind of victims that wolves would go after. Victims that are more likely to succumb, okay. you know, like with the, the majority of his quote unquote victims being children, that is consistent with the way that wolves work. They pick off the children. Uh, there was a Norwegian study done in 1992 that showed that 90% of all wolf fatalities are children. But And that makes sense because they're going after the people that they think are going to be able to fight them off the least effectively. You know, like they're not going to go after a big strong dude. They're going to go after the kid who's like trying to tend the sheep by himself, you know, or whatever. They just make easier targets. Yeah. Like it's unfortunate and it's kind of gross to talk about, but <laughs> them's the facts. Yeah. Another thing that was interesting is infanticide was actually on the rise in that time period. It was fairly common. I tried to look up why that was. I was going to ask. I'm like, it seems like a very strange thing to do when half of your children were dying of I don't know tuberculosis uh -huh. or the plague yeah I mean, both of those diseases were probably not as common during that time. Well, it's interesting you say that because there was actually a source that called out the fact that 50% of kids born in that time did not make it to 10. So yeah, literally yeah. half the kids were dying off anyway. I'm not sure why infanticide was so common, but it was a known problem. There was a lot of propaganda against it. There were laws that were enacted specifically to counteract it. And, you know, they were trying to demonize child murderers and there were all sorts of pretty wild broadsheets that were put out there. There was there was okay. definitely some scapegoating that happened because we know that a lot of kids were disappearing and getting killed. There was an effort, and I saw some broadsheets related to this, and it was very disturbing, I'm just going to say, where they basically scapegoated Jewish people and said like, oh, the Jews are killing all the kids and that's why there's such a high percentage of kids missing. What historians say is this propaganda scare was so effective that people chased all of the Jews out of the area and then the kids were still getting killed and disappearing, but there were no more Jews to blame it on. And so then they were like, well, who do we blame it on now? You know, then we started to see more of these werewolf trials and the witchcraft trials and a lot of other attempts at scapegoating and trying to blame whatever source they could for kids going missing. And the historian that I read, her name was Dana Wren, R-E-H-N. She was saying that uh, this was just another extension of this whole thing where they were trying to create scapegoats for all of the infanticide that was happening. The story of Peter Stump was just another part of that. And that is entirely possible. It, it does not contradict the theory that I really believe. And another thing that I want to call out is bears were more common <laughs> during this time. Like, I think Europeans are so used to thinking of like bears being almost extinct in European areas that we forget in medieval times, in Renaissance times, they were actually a lot more common, specifically brown bears. And when I think of the story of uh, the two men and the woman getting attacked and like being mangled and the woman yeah. quote, supposedly being eaten, that doesn't sound as much like a wolf mm. to me as it does potentially a bear. And bears are fucking terrifying. What kind of bears do you think? My guess would be a brown bear like a European brown bear which aren't the hugest bears but they're definitely big enough to get the job done. Okay. But they, they were common in the area because when I read that I was like this sounds like a bear attack and so I googled like were there bears in Renaissance Germany and the answer was yes. That one particular case sounds like a bear. A lot of these I think sound more like just plain old wolf attack especially with the prevalence of wolves in the area at the time. But of course, we can never rule out the fact that there could have actually been a serial killer. It's always a possibility. I was having trouble tying it to okay. Peter Stump. And we're going to get into like the final theory. And this one is the one that I kind of, in the end, I'm kind of leaning towards this one. And it's that okay. Peter Stump 
may not have actually been a real person at all. That he may have oh. been. I know. I know. Plot twist. This is. I was like, I'm, I'm going to decide if he's like guilty or innocent or if I'm leaning one way or another. But in the end, I was like, this is a third option I didn't see coming. And yet it makes a lot of sense to me because much of his story seems borrowed from earlier versions and earlier stories of werewolves. Like the whole thing about the paw being cut off and turning into a human hand was told in a another werewolf story earlier on. So it's entirely possible that this story may have evolved orally. And like I said, there are no records of Peter Stump existing. There are no records of his birth. There are no records of his trial. There are no records of his execution. And as much as we like to think like, oh, well, they were just shit at keeping records at the time, they actually weren't. They, They did take records and assuming that they weren't destroyed, we do tend to have records of of a lot of major events. That said, like I said, there was the Thirty Years' War after that, and a lot of records were destroyed at that time. And so it is a little iffy, like, were they destroyed in the war, or did they never exist? The issue that I'm having here is this was supposedly such a huge trial that the records of it should not have just been local. Yeah. The other thing is broadsheets and pamphlets were a very common way of getting information out there. They were really common ways for people to spread ideas or stories but there was never any way of verifying them. A lot of historians liked to to compare them to tabloids actually and they said it was very common to make up stories and use it as propaganda to push ideas out at the time using pamphlets and broadsheets and not to mention if it was a sensational story. They made a lot of money off of it because again they're selling these for money. It's kind of like how people try and make money with a, a crazy book deal you know the same thing was being done with broadsheets and pamphlets at the time if you had a really good story it made a lot of money and if you had a propaganda idea to push you could absolutely push it that way at the time and so you know there was the whole concept that we talked about like trying to install horror about infanticide and how we need to protect children Peter Stump's narrative fits very well into that and into like how evil witchcraft and sorcery and werewolfery is and so to, to put the fear of God, so to speak, and people about that. So I tend to think, I don't think Peter Stump was a real person, especially considering we're supposed to believe his last name is Stump. But (laughs) I think they created this German pamphlet. And then once the German pamphlet went out, there were a whole bunch of other pamphlets and people repeated what they were told without questioning it, or they made it up. There seems to be some refining of the story as they go along. Like some of the broadsheets, like I said, showed the wolf's paw being cut off and then Peter Stump on the breaking will with no hand. And then it was like in later retellings, okay. they're like, this is a stupid narrative. Let's not repeat it. And there seems to have been a conscious effort not to repeat it because at that point, they don't show the wolf getting his hand cut off and Peter Stump on the breaking will has his hand, which seems like an important detail, you know, especially considering that these were published within like years of what supposedly happened. That to me suggests like there wasn't a consistent narrative at the time and there wasn't a consistent narrative because people were making shit up. That bothered me a lot (laughs) as far as like, is this a consistent, believable story? I'm feeling like, no, it's not. (laughs) It's like, you know, what you're making me think of, you're making me think of those people who go on to like, am I the asshole or uh, our relationships and expose the people who write fictional stories, except Mm -hmm. medieval style. Yeah, for sure. Renaissance style, sorry. On the other hand, I'm kind of glad it's not a real story because if it was true, what happened to Peter Stump was absolutely horrific. And you kind of almost prefer to believe that that just didn't happen. That he didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. This is a piece of horror folklore that encapsulates many of the fears and the dark realities of the time. So anyway, that is the story of Peter Stump. Let me know what you think. Like I said, we do not have definite records. I have presented my theory, but I am also open to hearing other people's theories. So feel free to at me and let me know what you think really happened. What about you, Crow? What are your your thoughts on it? I feel like I would almost kind of prefer the fact that he might not exist. (laughs) 
because uh-huh. I like I don't know if that's true or not, but it's just okay. So it's better than the two alternatives, which were that he did exist and he was a piece of shit who used to murder children, or uh-huh. he did exist and he one of his children was horribly maimed and taken away from him by a wolf and then people claiming that he was a werewolf and trying to shove their yeah. weird prejudices on him so like either way if he did exist then it's a really fucked up story to think that you know he uh-huh. went through that or that he was a piece of shit <laughs> so but but like what i believe i i'm not sure like honestly even after you broke everything down i feel like we just don't have enough evidence to say for sure like i would prefer to believe I that he didn't that. exist but w- do we have evidence to say that one thing is more likely than the other not yeah. in my opinion yeah yeah and that that is i definitely feel that like that was a thought that i had many times while researching this that yeah. uh there just is not sufficient records some of the other cases that i've gone like i said gilda ray there is a lot of documentation about him the one coming up next week elizabeth bathory there is also a lot of documentation about her peter stump yeah there is no official record there is literally nothing that counts as an official record there are only the publications like the pamphlets and I the came broadsheet. out of this even more confused than I was with the Jean Benet Ramsey case and not because of any <laughs> like any fault in your research but just because like there's nothing for us to rely on there's just yeah. you know yeah it's just all out there you know and the more that you talk about them the more cases you're starting to dissect i'm starting to realize that so many of the stories of like serial killers of old are so mixed in with folklore that uh-huh. and like the the mythology that people created to reconcile with those cases that i don't really believe in most of them anymore when did he encounter these children you know uh-huh. what did he do to them who right. did they belong to these children and you keep saying that the names are different from one record to the other, so... Well, there there are no names. There are no names other than his son. Like, none of the victims are named. Again, these are broadsheets and pamphlets, not court records, and so that happens. Yeah. Like, if it was a court record and they didn't have names, I'd be like, sus as hell. You can't convict mm. if you don't, if you're just, like, saying there were victims, but you're not identifying specific people, because then it sounds like you made those people up. But do we even know if court records exist? They do not exist. They have been mm. looked for. They have not been found. There is a question of whether or not those were destroyed in the Thirty Years' War or if they just never existed in the first place. That was the story of Peter Stump. Feel free to make whatever conclusion you want. You can agree with me or disagree. I'm open to whatever. If you have an interesting theory, by all means, share it with us. I, I love to hear people's theories and thoughts. And I will say that a lot of these documents are available online in English. The The main document, like I said, the German pamphlet is long gone, but the English pamphlet, which is probably the most detailed telling of the story that we have, it's called A True Discourse Declaring the Damnable Life and Death of One Stuba Peter, a Most Wicked Sorcerer. And that is available so many places online that if you Google the title, you're going to come up with like 20 different places where you can read it. The broad sheets were a little trickier to find so I'm going to say I'm going to refer you to the blog of Dana Wren. I'm not sure if it's Dana or it's Dana. It's D-E-N-A and then last name R-E-H-N. There are so many good documents on there. Uh, You can see the original broadsheets like some of them still exist and you can see the wood carvings and Dana also provides like translations of the German on there so you can go through and you can read most of the broadsheets on from her blog. Nice. That is the story of Peter Stump. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you join us later on this week when Crow does, uh, it will be Twilight Zone, right? That's coming out? Yes. Twilight Zone. And how to be racist against Romanians. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Twilight Zone was doing it. We had a discussion. We've al- we've already recorded that one. <laughs> we've already yeah. recorded that one and had that discussion. So you get to see where we call out a little uncomfortable discrimination.
So yes, join us later on for that week. And next week, I will be doing Elizabeth Bathory. And Crow, where can they keep up with us? If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to give us a follow. We're available on Amazon Music, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you really enjoyed this episode, feel free to drop us a review. We would love to hear what you think. Um, Or give us a follow on our social media. We have an Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and an email if you want to tell us about your weird tales, make recommendations. Um, I don't know. Um, fight me about Patrick Stump being uh, Peter Stump's great, great, great descendant. Whatever you want. Yeah, that's what you can do. <laughs> we'll catch you next week. And for now, bye. <laughs> bye.